You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our reading this morning, in connection with our text, which we'll, we'll be looking at, Ruth chapter 4, our reading is Leviticus chapter 25, beginning at verse 8. Count off seven Sabbaths of years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbaths of years amount to a period of 49 years. Then the tr- then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the Day of Atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own clan. The fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap whatever grows of itself or harvest, uh, whatever grows of itself or harvest the unintended vines. For it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of jubilee, everyone is to return to his own property. If you sell land to one of your countrymen or buy any from him, do not take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your countrymen on the basis of the number of years since the Jubilee. And he is to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. When the years are many, you are to increase the price. And when the years are few, you are to decrease the price because what he is really selling you is the number of crops. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. Follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws and you will live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and live there in safety. You may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not eat, if we do not plant or harvest our crops? I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. While you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and will continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. The land must not be sold permanently, because the land is mine, and you are but aliens and my tenants. Throughout the country, you that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. If one of your countrymen becomes poor and sells some of his property, his nearest relative is to come and redeem what his countryman has sold. If, however, a man has no one to redeem it for him, but he himself prospers and acquires sufficient means to redeem it, he is to determine the value of the year since he sold it and refund the balance to the man to whom he sold it. He can then go back to his own property. But if he does not acquire the means to repay him, what he sold will remain in the possession of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. It will be returned in the Jubilee, and he can go back to his property. Our text this morning is Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. We've been moving along in this book of Ruth, chapter 3, had Naomi concocting this plan for Ruth to go to the threshing floor of Boaz, and to propose marriage there, which she did. And Boaz said that he would secure her redemption in one way or another, but he couldn't do it himself yet because there was a nearer of kin. And so in chapter 4 at verse 1, we see Boaz going to find the nearer of kin. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, 
Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to redeem it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth and Moabites, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. And Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have brought, that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabites, Malon's widow, widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. And the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, near the very beginning of this book of Ruth, in chapter 1, right as we are coming to know this household of Elimelech, this family of Naomi and Ruth and Orpah, as Naomi, along with her two daughters-in-law, are coming back from Moab. You remember they had left Israel to go to Moab during the famine. Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion had all died there. And then Naomi came back to Israel with her two daughters-in-law when she heard that the Lord had returned to his people and was feeding them. Around that time, Naomi had urged both Ruth and Orpah to go back to Moab. And when she did that, she had wished this blessing upon them. She had said, May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown to the dead and to me. That word that she had used for kindness is the rich and beautiful Hebrew word chesed. Chesed. Now, the context that Naomi had used that word, that beautiful word, was all wrong. She had wished the Lord's hesed, the Lord's love and kindness upon Ruth and Naomi, uh, Ruth and, and Orpah as they went back to Moab. So the context that she used it all in, in was all wrong. But the way that she used it, that is, using it along with the name of the Lord, the name of Yahweh, was not wrong at all. In fact, later, in chapter 2, Naomi gets it right. And she realized that Ruth's discovery of Boaz in the field and of Boaz's generosity was in fact a gift of God's chesed, God's love and kindness. That word chesed 
refers to love and kindness. That's why all the themes thus far in this series have spoken about the loving and kind God. Because the book of Ruth reveals the love and the kindness of God. It reveals the loving and kind God as he works with his people. God has shown his hesed throughout this narrative. But here in chapter 4, his hesed toward Naomi and Ruth culminates, climaxes in their redemption. And as we see the loving and kind God revealing his love and his kindness through the kinsman redeemer, he shows to us the contours of his love and kindness that he continues to show to us through our greater redeemer. Boaz was a great man. Boaz was a redeemer who helped Ruth and Naomi. But in the person of Boaz, the loving and kind God shows us the contour of our greater redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what's happening here in chapter 4? What we'll do is we'll consider what is happening here in chapter 4 in terms of the legalities, this process that Boaz is going through in order to redeem Naomi and Ruth, and then we'll consider its implications for all for this whole narrative, for the, the past, the present, and the future of all concerned. And so following this midnight rendezvous at the threshing floor with all of that tension, but yet God's grace and the power of his Holy Spirit had, had prevailed, Boaz goes, sets out to make good on his promise to Ruth that he would look after her redemption and the redemption of Naomi. The kinsman redeemer, as he sets out, is intent on making the love and the kindness of God a real and a lasting reality for Ruth and for Naomi. And so in order to accomplish this, Boaz heads to the town gate. And of course, there's two reasons why he would go to the town gate. The first reason is that the town gate in those days was the center of commerce. It was like the town square. It was the place where there was buying and selling. It was a place where people would gather to speak to one another. That was the most likely place to find this man. As well, the town gate was where the elders sat. The elders would sit there, and when a case came for judgment, they would assemble and judge whatever case came along. And so Boaz goes there, and in a way that's entirely consistent with that invisible hand of God's providence that we've seen throughout this narrative... God has always been there at just the right time, and so he is again here. As Boaz immediately finds the man, God provides once more. So he finds the kinsman redeemer. He calls the elders to sit in legal judgment on the matter that he's going to bring before them. And so with the court assembled and a crowd, it seems, gathering around to see what's going on, Boaz makes his case And it goes like this. The main matter that Boaz at first presents is that of redeeming Naomi's land. There is more to it. The first thing that he presents is redeeming Naomi's land. Naomi is selling a piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. Now, as we've mentioned before, it's not exactly clear what the legalities are here. There's basically two options. 
One option is that Elimelech had sold his land before he had gone to Moab. And that what Naomi is doing is not really selling the property that, that she owns, but claiming her right of redemption over a property that belongs to her. So the property was sold, but Naomi holds on to that right of redemption, as we read in Leviticus 25. And she is now now calling upon exercising that right of redemption. That's one option. The other option is that Elimelech hadn't sold the land at all, but had simply left. We read at the beginning of the narrative that he went to go to Moab for a short time. Perhaps he 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 left the, the property in the care of someone else, but then he didn't return for a very long time. And so in that, in his absence, that person assumed control over the land. And because he had done all the work for the, the crops, he had every right to take the crops in for himself. In that case, Naomi is in fact selling the land, which is still legally hers, and she wants to sell it to the kinsman redeemer so that the kinsman redeemer will provide for her. Along with buying the land, the kinsman redeemer would, would provide for all the dependents that were associated with that land. Either way, it was necessary for the kinsman redeemer to purchase the land and as part of the deal to provide honorably for Naomi. And so Boaz presents this case to the kinsman redeemer. And the, the kinsman redeemer, the, the nearer of kin, I should say, a man who is in fact not mentioned or not named at all in this account, he can see immediately that this is a good deal. This is a deal that he should go for. It's a good business decision. Farmland was limited in Israel, and it was valuable. And this was a particularly productive area in Israel. This man could gain the land. He could buy the land for himself. He would support the aging Naomi until she died. And then he would have all of Elimelech's land for himself. It was a great financial decision, not only for him, but also perhaps for the generations that might come after him and his family. And so he says, I'll redeem it. But then Boaz throws the curveball into the arrangement. Along with the land comes not only the widow of Elimelech, but also the widow of Malon, Ruth, the Moabites. And that near of kin, the savvy businessman that he is, knows that this changes everything. Ruth is another much younger, longer living liability. Now he's not only have to provide for Naomi, but he's going to have to provide for Ruth for her entire life. Plus, to redeem Ruth in this situation because of her age means that he would have to marry her. And she's a Moabite. In addition, if he was to marry Ruth and they were to produce only one son, rather than this man in his name getting all the land down the generations, instead, all of this man's land would transfer over to Elimelech's household, and it would be carried on through the generations that way. So he could, in fact, lose all his land if he and Ruth would only produce one son. And even if they would still, if they would produce more than one son, he would still have the long-term costs of providing for two widows. And so the man changes his mind. He's not going to redeem it anymore. He is a savvy businessman. He says, my estate would be in jeopardy if I were to do that. You see here that Hesed is not part of this man's calculations. 
He doesn't consider what would love and what would kindness be in this situation. He says, no, what's going to be good for the bottom line? And so he makes his decision, I will not redeem it. Well, we know that Boaz, in his love and kindness for Ruth and Naomi, this was the result that he desired. He had committed himself to redeeming Ruth and Naomi, and so, of course, he's going to go through with the redemption himself. And in order to make the transaction legal and binding, then the nearer of kin takes off his sandal, hands it over to Boaz, and then disappears from the pages of God's revelation with only one sandal. Now, notice how this works. This is good for the man's bottom line. But we, we don't know anything about this man. God's word doesn't even tell us about the name of this man. He just disappears. He shows no love and no kindness in the situation. And so he's left alone. It's the very same thing as with Orpah. When Naomi had said to Orpah, go back to Moab, she said, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to go. Rather than showing her her commitment and her faithfulness to Naomi, she left to go back to Moab, and we never hear from her again. But that's not what happens with Boaz, as his name and all of his actions are for all of us to read recorded here in this book. And so there, right in front of the elders and many witnesses, the redemption is finalized. Boaz has bought or redeemed the land of Moab. He's acquired Ruth to be his wife. And he's secured the inheritance for the household of Elimelech and for the hoped-for next generation. Through the kins and redeemer, God has shown his love and his kindness to Ruth and Naomi and provided redemption. The thing that this whole book has been driving toward. It's just a legal proceeding. But within the narrative, this is a momentous occasion. This changes everything. Consider how this book began in that, that dark and difficult way with unfaithfulness and sorrow and bitterness. Naomi was so affected by everything that had happened to her, so grieved that she urged her townspeople to give her a new name. I'm not pleasant. Call me bitter. The Lord, the Lord has made me very bitter. Everything in her life was bitter. Her past was forgettable. Her present was painful. Her future was bleak. But through the course of the book, God, the great Redeemer, revealed His love and His kindness to Naomi. And now his love and his kindness has changed everything for her. Not only her heart on the inside, but everything in her life. All of her circumstances. And we can track this, the very same thing with Ruth. Who at first got attached to this unfaithful Israelite family. And then her husband died. And she, the Moabitess, was stuck now along with her sister, the widow, and her mother-in-law, the widow. And yet God had also provided for her in his love and his kindness. And now for Ruth too, everything changes. Everything changes because the loving and kind God redeems. Because the loving and kind God is a redeeming God. He restores the past. He secures the present. He blesses the future. 
And so let's consider the implications of this redemption now. First of all, for a restored past. The first lines of the book left us with an expectation of of judgment and ruin for the household of Elimelech as they left Israel. They left to go to the land of Moab and Elimelech and his sons never came back. This was, in fact, one of the few ways that a family could lose their inheritance. You realize with the laws for the kinsman redeemer that it is, in fact, very difficult for a family to lose their inheritance in Israel. It's very difficult. God had put all these safeguards in place so that it would not happen. But you know how you could guarantee it to happen? You just pick up and leave and never come back. You lose your inheritance. And now... The unthinkable has happened. They've abandoned their inheritance, but it has come back to him. Elimelech's inheritance is back in the household of Elimelech. And there's hope that his name will remain connected with his land. While the sins of Elimelech cannot be atoned for after his death, the effects of his sins are covered over by the Hesed of the kin's redeemer. This changes the past of Elimelech, even after his death. Now, Naomi's past was very much tied to that of her husband, with one exception. She had to live on with the bitter effects of Elimelech's decisions after he died. And so while he died in Moab, she returned to Israel as a widow, in grief, in bitterness, in poverty, and in shame. That was her past. That was supposed to be her new reality. But God's love and kindness had been working on Naomi, had been changing that bitterness, had been taking away that shame. And now with this transaction, this legal transaction, her past is covered over. She doesn't need to bear the shame. She's no longer poor. She no longer has reason for bitterness. God has changed everything through the kins and redeemer. God has shown his love and his kindness to Naomi. But Naomi's past is not the only one that's affected by this transaction. Ruth's is also. Perhaps Ruth's is the most affected by this transaction. Because not only was she associated with this sinful household, she was a Moabite. She was, you might say, a natural-born enemy of God. She was a worshiper of false gods and idols. In faith, she had committed herself to serving God, and now through her redemption, Boaz brings her completely into the household of God, out of the enemies of God and into the household of God. She is no longer a Moabite. She is now an Israelite, truly one of the people of God. Her past is restored. It's not held against her. The loving and kind God redeems and changes everything. When the Redeemer makes that transaction complete, He changes everything, including your past. Do you see there the contours of the love and kindness of our God shown by our great Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the one whom we wait for in heaven, but whose work has already been finished in his death and resurrection. When our Redeemer Jesus Christ 
secured our redemption through the shedding of his blood, he changed everything. Do you have unfaithfulness in your past? Do you have a, a sinful past? Well, with Jesus Christ as your Redeemer, it's forgiven. It's not held against you. He restores your past. Were you born outside of, of the covenant? Outside of the people of God? With Jesus Christ as your Redeemer, it doesn't matter. In fact, being born outside the covenant of God shows the grace of God in an even greater way as the promise is no longer just for national Israel, but it's for people of all tribes and tongues and nations as God is calling everyone into his household. Through the finished work of Jesus Christ, all the baggage of your past simply serves to highlight one thing. It no longer highlights your shame, no longer needs to bring you bitterness, but it highlights one thing for you. The love and the kindness of God, who no longer holds it against you, who forgives all that, who has restored you now. It shows the love and the kindness of God in choosing, calling, regenerating, and redeeming you. God also secures the present for his people. Of course, the direct result of a restored past is the present. When Jesus Christ takes away my sins in the past, that means something very real now for me today. And for Naomi and Ruth, the redemption by Boaz meant several things. For Naomi, it meant that her in the present she was provided for. In purchasing the land, Boaz had committed himself to providing for her needs. That was the significance, remember, of that gift of grain. Boaz said, here's a down payment. Here's some grain for you. This is to promise that I will make sure that you are fed for the rest of your life. You will never go hungry. And Boaz did that. And she never went hungry. Now for Ruth, the situation was different. She was able-bodied. She could provide for herself through different ways that God had, had arranged for the poor to care for themselves in Israel, but she didn't have security in the land of Israel. She didn't have a secure identity. But when that sandal landed in Boaz's hand, then Ruth's present changed as well. Now, she was not a widow. She was a bride. Now she was the wife of Boaz. The two had become one. And now all that Boaz was and had belonged to her. United to her husband, she was no longer a foreigner. She was a covenant child of God with all the blessings and gifts contained therein. When your past is restored through the work of the great Redeemer, Jesus Christ, then your present becomes entirely secure. Do you know that security? Do you feel the effect of the redemption of Jesus Christ in your life today? Jesus Christ makes the love and the kindness of God a reality in your life today, now, in the present. When he redeems you, you lack nothing. When you become his bride, 
along with the church, you are given a new identity. You come into a new reality. You are given all of the blessings, all of the gifts, all of the privileges of Jesus Christ. They become yours when you're united to him by faith. Brothers and sisters, this is the present reality that the loving and kind God gives us in Jesus Christ. And finally, he also gives us a blessed future. That blessed future is spoken of in our text in the verses 11 through 12. After the transaction is completed, then the people and the elders there, they react with joy and they confer this rich blessing upon Boaz and his household. You can see it there in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 4 of Ruth. First they say, may Ruth be like Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah were the matriarchs of Israel. They were the mothers of Israel from whom had come the twelve tribes of the people of Israel. Second, they said, may you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May you be prominent, they say, among your people and become famous in the region in which we live. And third, they said, may your son be like Perez. Well, what was so great about the line of Perez? Well, the, the line of Perez was a great line. Even after the exile to Babylon, so many years later, you would draw distinction for yourself if you could trace your line back to Perez. That shows up in First Chronicles and as well as Nehemiah. Also, from the line of Perez, Perez had come, among others, Nashon. Nashon was one of the first elders of Israel. He was the only representative of Judah, and he had distinguished himself to be a good leader and religious head. So Perez, the line of Perez was this great line in Israel and in Judah. There was more to the line of Perez as well. Tamar, his mother, had been a foreigner, remember, a Shechemite, not a true Israelite. And yet from her and from her seed had come one of the most powerful families in Israel. And so the people pronounced these rich blessings upon Boaz and his household. Rich blessings, you say. Are you convinced? Let's look at these rich blessings that they're conferring upon Boaz and Ruth again. Rachel and Leah. Do you remember Rachel and Leah? These wives of Jacob. They were the bickering wives, constantly fighting with each other, never content. They, they offered themselves as slaves to their husband in order to gain respect in their household by bearing children. And when that didn't work, they offered their their maids as well. Ephrathah and Bethlehem were not exactly the most prominent clans and places in Israel. Couldn't Boaz have standing in Judah or some greater town? As for Perez, well, he was the son of adultery, of a very twisted kind of adultery and deceit. And this was the blessing that the people conferred upon Boaz and Ruth. And do you know what? This was a beautiful blessing. And do you know why this was such a beautiful blessing? Because in all three of these situations, what shone most clearly through them 
was the love and the kindness that God had shown to change a a broken and sinful situation to be a beautiful and praiseworthy situation. The love and the kindness of God had changed their lot in life, taken those bickering wives of, of Jacob and made them into a great nation. Taken that, that town of Ephrathah and Bethlehem and make them famous. Take that, that situation with between Judah and Tamar and bring a powerful man like Perez and Nashon and a great line in Israel to come from it. From the raw materials of unfaithfulness and humiliation, God had made for himself a people and a nation and conferred his blessings upon them. And when he did, it changed them, made them powerful and strong. And so this is a brilliantly appropriate blessing for Boaz and Ruth. And it's even beyond brilliant. It's prophetic as well. For Rachel and Leah may have built up the house of Israel, but whose house would Ruth and Boaz build up? They would build up the house of David, the house that would never fail to have a king on the throne from, until the great son of David would come and sit on the throne. And the people had said, may you become famous in Bethlehem. Now, what is Bethlehem famous for today? When the people would have read this, they would have said, that's the hometown of David. But when we read it, we know that's the home, that's where our Savior was born. That's where the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And what of the status of Perez? He was a great man, but he would pale in comparison to his descendant, David. David, that son of Judah, would establish a line unparalleled in Israel, but even that line would fade into oblivion and anonymity, only to be resurrected through the birth of David's great descendant, Jesus, the Lion of Judah. And so this is a blessing indeed, a blessing that the people speak to Ruth and Boaz and that the love and the kindness of God goes to work on and translates into surprising and, and a surprising and unimaginable reality. That's what God does through the great Redeemer, Jesus Christ. As his blessings are conferred upon his people, his love and kindness goes to work and turns those blessings into a wonderful reality. It's what happens every Sunday as the blessing is conferred upon you. The Lord be with you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The love and the kindness of God goes to work on those blessings and makes it a reality in your life. God gives you a blessed future. And so it is the loving and the kind God who redeems his people. He is a God whose love and whose kindness cannot be measured, cannot be comprehended, cannot be grasped. Through the Hesed of Boaz, the Hesed of God is revealed in Jesus Christ. And this is the same Hesed, the same love and kindness that God shows to us as well, through which we receive abundant blessings through our Lord Jesus Christ, our great Redeemer. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, 
please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.